Welcome to the Midland Seventh-day Adventist Church. We hope our broadcast will bless you. Romans 5, verse 1. And it reads, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, good to be here today. I want to give you a happy Sabbath for you that are here, for our friends, visitors, and also for all of you that are watching through the internet. And uh, I want just to reemphasize something. Uh, I really like Carol's suggestion of for us praying for Michelle. Uh, and uh, Ramadan is such a special date. We should pray not only for him, but for all the missionaries that work in Muslim countries. Because those days are the days that they are seeking revelation from God. And for them, like dreams are something special. So let's pray for God to, and to give dreams to those people, introducing them to Jesus and making them uh, prompt for more. So let's keep that on our earnest prayers. That's very, very important. And let's not only pray Monday, let's start to pray for this right now and throughout our days. Every time we pray, let's remember those because God can act and He will act if we pray. And um, we will finish today that second part of uh, the series, God in Search of Mankind. We are talking about the great controversy with some practical applications. I'm going to finish what I started last week, I mean, my, in my last sermon. I'm going to do a little recap, like, but uh, I also felt impressed to print something that uh, is on the foyer. If you didn't wa watch those previous messages, uh, there is a 10-page summary of the whole series on there. Like, uh, just be mindful that... Uh, Something that you read may not be English. What I mean by that? When I wrote this, it was originally written in Portuguese, and I Google translated. So I try to fix all the uh, most obvious grammatical aberrations, but it's readable. And uh, can give you what you need to fill out the blanks. Another alternative is for you to watch the previous sermons on this series that are available on our in our YouTube page. So, and also in Facebook. But Facebook is harder to find. So, uh, and uh, I think that will be beneficial for you. And uh, today, before we uh, see what are the final implications of that great controversy on us, on our life, and our, how we can have victory on this war that we live in. Because we do live in a war. And uh, in that war, the battlefield is our hearts and minds. And uh, each one of us has to strive for victory. How can we do that? That's the theme of the sermon of today. So I invite you to bow our heads once more. So we uh, invite the presence of the Holy Spirit in our study today. Dear Father in heaven, we come before you in awe because you loved us so much that you gave us Jesus to be a witness 
not only to us, but to the whole universe, about the enormity of your love for us and, to, and for each creature. We Now, as we study the, implica the final implications of this cosmic conflict in our life, and how we can achieve victory on this war, we ask your presence today. We ask you to come and uh, abide on us through your Holy Spirit and prepare our hearts and minds to hear what uh, you have to tell us. As we read those multiple passages, as we reflect on different stories, help us to uh, hear your voice speaking to our hearts. I ask you, dear Lord, in a special way to bless me as I speak. May I speak all the words you want me to say. And even the things that I plan to say, uh, but if they are not according to your will, let me skip it. Don't allow me to say it. And if there's things that you want me to say that I didn't plan to, to tell, put those words on my mouth. Bless each one of those that are here and help them as you helped me so far to learn how to grow in Christ every day and how to have victory over sin. Bless us, keep us because we need you and give us your Holy Spirit. That's what we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Alrighty. Let me start with a story. Short one. Good while ago, I was meeting with a, a person. She was a, I mean, a person. I don't, not even saying that she's she or he. I sometimes, I tend to speak she when I'm thinking in a person because Portuguese is different than, uh, than uh, English. And in Portuguese, every word has a gender. And the word person in Portuguese is feminine. So sometimes when I think in a person, the pronoun that comes in my head is not like they or it, but she. So... But like that person, and uh, she, she came to me with something, uh, she said something that really caught my attention. Uh, she said something like, Pastor, I'm giving up fighting against sin. I, I fight with all my might, but sin comes back and overcomes me and I'm there on the floor again. I can't take it any longer. Uh, I'm discouraged. And I don't know what to do. And that that she shared with me is a problem bigger than what she imagined. What that person imagined. Because uh, what said person didn't know. That like uh, that problem is prevalent. Almost every Christian in some point of their lives face such dilemma, dilemma, like how can I overcome sin? I try and I fail. I myself for many years uh, had struggled with that. Like uh, at the beginning, I thought like, oh, I was not raised Christian. So that thing is not really, it's really hard for me. I kept trying to do what's right and keep doing what's wrong. And I got older and things didn't, didn't relax. 
As a matter of fact, I had already my own kids and I had still my struggles that I was, didn't want to do, but I was doing it. And uh, at some point, God called me to ministry. Still, I was uh, working on the financial district. I was still working in Wall Street. And, but I thought, okay, now that God called me to ministry, He's going to help me now. Now, I'm going to get straight because He's going to give me what takes. But it didn't happen. Like uh, I still had my struggles. Fast forward a few years. When I decided to be full-time in ministry, God put on my heart to give up my secular word on, uh, on Wall Street and go back to Brazil to do seminary. So as a first-year seminarian, I was having a little bit more time uh, to think about it because I was not working as full-time as before. Uh, but I still had, I was struggling with that. And then I was in a class with one of my late professors. He just died a couple of years ago. After he retired, he volunteered as a, as a missionary in, I think, in Senegal. And he died there with a disease that he contracted on the mission field. But uh, I went to his class as I supposed to. And he said something that really got my antennas up. He said uh, something like this. I can't remember his exact words, but like the gist of it is like, uh, why are you using all your strength to fight sin? You're going to always lose it. And that was like kind of, what he means? Is that not what supposed to do? But he kept, he kept uh, talking. And he said, like, uh, you'll be defeated because that's not your fight. This fight is Christ's fight. Christ needs to be on you to give you victory. When he is abiding on you, he will fight to give you victory over sin. So don't fight that, fuck, that fight. And then he said something that was life-changing to me. The focus of your fight uh, and the focus of all your spiritual energy should be spent not attempting to overcome sin, not attempting to do this or to do, do, to do that. The focus of all your fight and all your energies in the context of that cosmic conflict should be spent, should be focused in... Uh, Keeping your connection with God alive. You should focus in walking with Jesus daily. And in creating spiritual routines. So you can learn how to be in communion with God. How to pray without ceasing. How to stay with Him from the beginning to the end of, our day, of your days. And that was like a, a life changing thing for me. I felt like if a burden was like a lift up of my shoulders. And I started to focus on that. Uh, Jesus says in uh, John 15, chapters 1 and 2, He says like, I am the true vine. And uh, my, fine, my father 
is the uh, vine dresser. And he keeps saying, if you are, stay on me, you're going to bear some a much fruit. So what's the lesson here that he was trying to rem- remind us of? When he was instructing his disciples, he, he was about to leave, but he wanted them to know that by themselves, they cannot do a thing. They needed to be connected to Jesus in order to thrive and to give fruit. And uh, my focus today is to wake you up that the That great controversy is a serious business. Satan wants you to fall and to keep you down. But uh, uh, we have to seek God because on the mornings, because our battles are not won here on those four walls. We come here weekly. We come here regularly to find comfort in hearing a message from God and to uh, fellowship with each other. But our real battles are won in our homes, in our knees, in our mornings, and in our days spent at the feet of the cross. So, we should wake up every morning, not in a presumptuous way and say like, Today, I'm overcoming this, whatever this is for you. Because that was exactly what the Hebrews did. Uh, in, in, the, uh, in the Sinai. As we studied last week, God gave them their the covenant. We read chapter 20 of Exodus where God makes wonderful promises of things that He will do on our life if we abide on Him. Things that we have to do, but not on our own strength. He will do it for us. And then we see later on, if you continue reading, uh, God keeps giving them a few laws, how they can come closer. And when we finish saying what he has to say, they say in uh, Exodus 24, verse 3, they say something like, and Moses says that they say in one voice, in unison, they shout, everything the Lord said, we will do it. That was presumptuous. Because if you keep reading, a couple of chapters later, they are already on the floor again, worshiping a false god that of their own making. And uh, they failed because of the same reason why we fail. We fail when the, we focus our day in what we will do to fulfill God's will. And that's the wrong thinking. Uh, we have to have victory over sin. The focus needs to be different. We should spend our energies and time to be Jesus' best friend. We, who I am to say, I can do this or I can do that, that's presumptuous. I cannot say, I will not smoke this, or I will not drink that, I will not watch this, or I will not do this, or I will not do that. I can't because on myself, I don't have the strength to keep up with such bold promises. We should wake up every morning and say to God, God, 
I want to make peace with you. Please walk with me today. Let's say to Jesus, I am weak. I have no strength. But in you, I can find the, I can find the strength I need. Jesus said in uh, John 15, verse 5, still on that uh, uh, parable of the vineyard, of the vine, he says like, without me, you can do nothing. But Philippians 4, 13, Paul says something to each one of us today. He says, I can do all things in Christ who strengthens me. Amen? Like, he is the secret of our victory. Without Jesus, we cannot do a thing. We just waste our time and energies and get frustrated with our constant defeat. We need him every day. We need him every hour. And we only find him when we seek him at our mornings, at, at home, when we have Quiet time with Him. Quality time with Him. We have to, in order to become friends of Jesus, we need to walk with Him. We, have, we need to be before His presence. We need to develop a, a habit of being with Him. Uh, we have several married couples here. Let me ask you one thing to you. Like, you some of you are married more than, longer than I am. Some uh, not so long. But I think all of you will say the same thing. I will not pick anybody, but like, let's assume you have married with your lovely wife or your lovely spouse. And you just like went to the ceremony, kissed the bride and all that. And then you went home and you never spoke with each other again, like just for menial things. Honey, do this, I'm hungry, or do this, that. Would that work? Didn't hear? Married people, yes or no? Yeah. No. That would not work. Why? Because any relationship requires what? Communication. We have to talk with each other. And if you want to know God, if you want to be his best friend, we have to talk with him. We have to have quality time with him. We have to spend time and regularity is paramount. We have to create a routine of like day after day after day after day, be seeking him. But if you failed in do one day, okay, try again tomorrow. But keep on it until you develop that relationship with him. And uh, even if you fall, even if you commit some sin, the Bible is very clear. First uh, John uh, 2 verses 1 and 2 says, If anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, 
but also for the whole world. He is the propitiation. He is the offering for our own sins. He paid the price. So we have nothing to be concerned. But in order for us to have an intimate relationship with God, we should start on the morning, but that relationship should go through the day. But that's only possible if we start our days seeking Him first, seeking to connect with Him first. Jesus Himself was a man of prayer. When we studied this already, that's just a big recap so far. And uh, we read uh, before that many times, as Mark 1 3 says, He went out very early on the morning to a quiet place, sometimes even out of town so he could be away from everybody and pour his heart out to God, trying to keep that connection alive to give us an example. Many, many times, like after his day was over, as we say, an example in Mark, in Matthew 14, 23, he would also go to a quiet place at the evenings. To finish his day with a good dose of, of God. To keep his connection alive. Although the Bible is not that clear. I have a feeling that he would keep this up throughout the day as well. But uh, and even there are rare, rare occasions as uh, Luke 6.12. Where he spent the whole night in prayer. Because he felt he needed something. And we have to have that hunger. For God's presence. In the same way Jesus did. Uh, when we have that hunger. When we are so thirsty. To drink the water that only Jesus can give us. When we are so uh, wanting his presence on our life. And when we seek his presence actively. We will be able to say. As Paul says in Galatians 2.20. And I want you to open your Bibles because I want you to read that. Because that's the goal. That's the objective of what God wants you to do. Galatians 2.20. When you find, say amen. Okay, Galatians 2.20. And I'm reading, everything I'm reading today is from the New King James. It says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave, me, and gave himself for me. This is the type of communion Jesus longs you to have it. In such a way that he lives on you, and your life is not yours, it's his. And uh, you, you only can get that by being always in God's presence. And that's the work of a lifetime. That's a work that will never be completed here on this earth. Only on the second coming. But each day you can advance a step. And each day you can grow closer and fonder with Jesus. I want you to give you this morning. Now as the meat of the sermon. A few gifts. Don't get too excited. I don't have anything rapid for you. But I have some special Bible passages. That will help you to 
understand what God really wants and how you can really overcome sin. And the first gift I want to give you today is our uh, biblical reading of this morning. Romans 5 verse 1. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's wonderful news. Paul is saying that we can have peace in God, with God through Jesus. And peace, I have to remind you again and again that peace in biblical terms is not only the absence of war or absence of conflict. It's the presence of God in your life. It's everything you need to thrive. It's like wholesomeness. The wholesomeness of God's presence in you. That's what he's being promised here. That's why that's a wonderful news. If you abide in Christ and allow him to justify you and to forgive you every day by confessing and surrendering daily, he will bring you peace with God and he will make you thrive in everything you do. Here's another one special in the book of Romans. Romans 8 chapter 1. When you find, say amen. I, so, Romans 8 verse 1 says, There is there are, therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. If you abide in Him, and if He abides on you, there is no condemnation for you. You are free to go. Memorize those Bible verses. Repeat them through the day, because they will give you courage and focus as you focus your life in having an endure relationship with God through Jesus. And uh, if you keep up reading Romans 8, you get the understanding that that no condemnation he's talking about here is uh, just come by the fact that Jesus is abiding on you. And if you're abiding in Jesus, he will steer you to the right path. He will do in you what you cannot do by yourself. That's why I beg you today to put God first in your life, to seek Him daily. Start your day in your, in your quiet place, just to you, you and Him. That can be any place, can be your basement, can be your bed, can be whatever, you can be alone with Him, just talking with Him. And start your day focusing in being with him, being on his presence, and let him change you daily. Tell him, my Lord, I'm starting my day now, but I don't want to walk this day alone by myself. Please walk with me today. Please help me to feel your presence. Please walk with me. I ask you, send me your Holy Spirit. Make your Holy Spirit take possession of me. I open the doors of my heart. I open the doors of my mind for you to use me and to control me. Claim God's promises. And he has several promises on his covenant on the Bible. I want to remind you about one. Like 
uh, last week, we read Ezekiel 33, where God promises that, uh, starting on verse 33, where he promises that he will uh, someday in Jesus make a new covenant. And the new covenant will be the same as the old one. Same law, same command, same thing. The difference is like that now he will do it for you. He will transform you. And as he keep unveiling this covenant promises, that's one that's precious that I want to share with you today. Let's go to Ezekiel 36. That's the continuation of the same discourse, same vision. And let's read uh, starting on verse 26. Say amen when you find it. So Ezekiel 36 verse 26. Uh, and that's a promise we have to claim. God promises. I will give you a new heart. And I will put in you a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh. And give you a heart of flesh. That means a total transformation. I I said this before, but like a heart in biblical thinking is not like the mushy thing that we think today. Like when we talk about heart, we think about feelings, emotions. Like that on, on those days was the liver. Sometimes you, you say like my liver or my, sometimes the Bible translates, some Bible translators like on my inner parts or something. That he's talking about the emotions, is the emotional side of humans. What they thought the heart is, is like what we know now that the brain is. So he was saying, I'm going to give you a new brain, new patterns of thinking. I will make you to think differently. I will make you to desire different things. And that's a promise that he can come true in your life today. But he keeps going. How he's going to do that? Verse 27. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statues. And I will keep my judgments. And do them. Do you see the beauty? He is the one doing. He is the one making us obey. That's his job. Not ours. He is the one that will do. His own desire in us. If we surrender. If we approach him. If we invite him to our life. And then verse 29. He says. I will deliver you. From all your uncleanness. I will clean you from all your sins. And you will be a sinner no more. I will make you a new person. That's the message. Claim that promise. But how much time do we need every morning. In order to connect with God. There is no formula. You showed us the Holy Spirit. And he is the one that should tell you how much time you need. But I have to tell you something. Like, uh, I was thinking in some examples, but since uh, I like to think I, I'm a good cook, but my fam family thinks otherwise. So, let's take something very simple. Boiling eggs. Everybody can do it, right? Even me. Like, uh, how much time do you need to boil an egg, like to have that good, hard-boiled egg? Can I just put, like, Put the fire on the top, uh, like on the highest. Live for a couple of minutes and be done with it? No. 
like uh, what my research, I don't have any practical experience in boiling eggs, but what my research indicate is that, that I need at least 12 minutes to get some hard-boiled eggs right. So the fire needs time to heat the water and the uh, heated water needs time to penetrate and to uh, solidify the egg until it gets hard-boiled. The same thing is with you and me. I don't know about you, but I have a thick school and a very hard mind. And God needs time to sink in and to transform me. That's a slow process. If I just read my Bible, you're like, blah, 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 blah. Five minutes, done. Jesus is a nice guy. Thank you. Bless me to the day. That will not work. You need time to be with him. You need to have to allow this time. But I can give you some hope. If you ask him to wake you up with enough time to spend the time you need with him, he will. What do I do? I always put my clock to wake me up every day. Uh, every day I wake up at that given time, uh, regardless. But uh, every time as well, before I go to sleep, I ask God, God, you know the day I'm going to have tomorrow. You know how much I'm going to need to be prepared, how much prayer I have to have. Wake me up with enough time. Sometimes he wake me up like half an hour later. Sometimes he walks me up one hour later. And I spend that extra time in him, in prayer, in communion. Like a, and every time I do that, things go well. The problem is that I'm broken. Sometimes I, know, I think I know better. So like he walks me up one, one hour earlier. Like let me just sleep 15 minutes and that 15 minutes never happened. Like I always work, I walk up again with my clock when I do that. And that doesn't give me enough time to what I need. And what I notice those days are the days that I have the biggest wrecks on my life. Because I didn't connect with him. And if you didn't start with him, it's hard to keep up during the day because you cannot keep up what we don't have. If you're not connected with him from the get-go, uh, things go out of hand. So we need to focus in walking with God from the beginning. If we keep fighting to overcome sin, overcome sin is important. We have to get sin out of our life. But that's not our fight, it's His. Our fight needs to be surrendering to Him. Give ourselves to Him so He can get sin rid of our life. Ask God to wake you up and He will. Make proof of him, he says on scripture. And he will. But be prepared. Once he walks you, go for it. He wants to commune with you. He wants to give you the time. Use it. And, uh, and use that time well. Like the focus of our prayer time should not even be pray, uh, asking for things. Should be to be in communion with him. The Bible instructs us to ask things, and we should do so. But the main focus of our life, of our prayer life, of our 
devotional life is to connect with him and to keep at his presence and to allow him to transform us. But you may ask, why do I need to ask God things? Why do I need to ask God to enter on my life? Why do I need to ask God this or that? Why he doesn't do it? He d- does he not know anything? Like he does know everything. The Bible is very clear. But uh, why should we ask? There are several reasons. One of them is because the more I ask, the more I'm cognizant of my own shortcomings and my own needs. And I surrender more. Uh, I was talking this morning on my Sabbath school class about addictions. And uh, we were talking about the 12 steps. like that. It's very popular. And the first, very first step for you to overcome any addiction, any sin, any problem on your life is to acknowledge that you have the problem. Otherwise, if you don't acknowledge that you have the problem, you don't seek help. And if you don't seek help, not even God can help you because you're not willing to hear it. So, that should be the focus of our, of our prayer life. But, uh, there's another reason. And, uh, Jesus says, in uh, Luke 18, verse 1, pray without ceasing, or some Bible says, pray without losing your heart, or something of the equivalent. Like, pray, keep on it. Keep on praying. We have to pray without ceasing. Uh, Thessal- 1 Thessalonians 5, 17 says the same thing. Pray without ceasing. Why the Bible keeps asking us for praying without ceasing? Is there a reason for it? In one of my devotionals, I read something uh, that I think plays very well with this. It's in a book called The Great Controversy, page 525. It says, It's a part of God's plan to grant us, in answer to prayer of faith, that which He would not bestow, did we not thus ask. What she's saying here is very biblical, and I can give you several examples of it. If we don't ask, there's things that God cannot give us if we don't ask. He wants to give us, but He won't. Not because He doesn't want it, but because He cannot do it. Uh, there is something to do with the way that great controversy operates. God is still God. He can do everything He wishes, but th- sometimes He chooses not to act because there is a great controversy in place. And there is things that uh, He only can do if we ask Him. Otherwise, He will not be morally and legally within those rules of engagement that we studied a few, two sermons ago. He's not able to do it. Let me give a biblical example. You all know that story of 1 Kings 18. That's like the battle, a spiritual battle between uh, Elijah and the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 uh, prophets of uh, Asherah. And uh, like the word was, uh, the land was dry, three and a half years without rain. And uh, 
Elijah had just won the battle. God had been manifested powerfully without a doubt. All the prophets were false prophets were killed. And then God goes to Elijah and says, Elijah, it's gonna rain. And what Elijah does? He asks his servant, go there on the edge of the cliff and see if there is some cloud or some evidence of rain. Nothing. He goes back and pray, pray, pray. And then he asks again and again and again, multiple times. I think it was seven times, but I might be wrong. Uh, but multiple times. And he keeps praying. And then what happened? Prayer came. There was a spiritual battle going on. Paul says that our battles are not between flesh and blood, but against the uh, powers of evil. So there was a, there's a, always in our life a spiritual battle that we cannot see. And we have to engage God and unleash, uh, untie his hands that might be tied. And uh, in James 5, 17 and 18, Paul says quite openly, explicitly, that if Elijah had not prayed, rain would not come. But because he prayed, rain came. And that's why the righteous prayer is worded. Because unties things. Allows God to do what he would not do otherwise. Because gives him permission. Makes him legal to do certain things. But why? That great controversy, is, uh, again I should remind you, is about God's character. And uh, God... Is being accused, was accused that he is both a tyrant, he, his character is full of flaws, and his government is also ill-conceived. And he is now operating during this brief interval of that great controversy, until the second coming of Jesus, until the millennium, until the devil and the evil people are destroyed forever. He'll be operating on those, on those terms. Everything needs to be above board. And he cannot break his own laws. And he cannot do things when it causes more harm than good. He cannot break those laws. So by praying, we unleash him. Like a good example, just re a quick recap for the sake of those that were not here before. Uh, is the story that we, uh, watch, uh, we, we went through two Sabbaths ago about Job. And uh, Job, uh, he was a righteous man, and Satan was accusing God, like, he's just righteous because you give everything that he needs. And uh, he begged and pleaded before the council, until finally God said, okay, you can hurt him a little, you can do certain things, but you don't go above here. And he did this twice, and God allowed. Why? He was... Asking for permission to break the rules and to do something outside of it. We have another example. We see this in Luke uh, uh, 22 33. Sorry, 22, 22 32. When God says to Peter, Peter, Satan asked permission to shift you as wheat. I'm praying with you. And when you recover, when you 
Stand up, please minister to your brothers. So, he was under the protection of God, but God had to allow Satan to shift him a little bit. Uh, and uh, that's beautiful because every time God allows it, the Bible also assures us what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, 13. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, No temptation has overtaken you, except such as is common to men. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation, he also makes the way of escape, that you may be able to bear it. So, even when God allows those rules to change dynamically, to prove a point, he does in a way that he knows we can take it and that we will still be faithful to him. And his goal is later to make everything right, even if it has to take a lifetime and even if those wrongs only will be fixed in eternity. But he is going to come true for you. But sometimes the situation is inverted. Sometimes he is the one that has his hands tied and he cannot help us. And uh, that's when our prayers come to place. Because they can unlock the door. They can open that, uh, that uh, door that was close to him legally to do it. A good example of this is uh, what Jesus himself faced here on this earth. In Mark chapter 6. He was uh, going back to his hometown. People that he loved. And the Bible says he wanted to cure and do all the things that he was doing all around it to everybody. But he was frustrated at the end of the day. Why? Mark 6 verse 5 and 6 says. Now he could not do no might works there. Except that he has laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. So why he could not do it? Because they didn't believe in him. They didn't ask to be cured. Just ones or chooses that actually did ask. That did say, please do your thing on my life. He could help. And the same thing is true for us today. That's why we have to pray and pray and pray. Jesus wanted to help his own people, but he couldn't because he didn't pray. They didn't ask. And he wants to help us today, but we do have to pray. And the functions of our prayers are to unite, that are to untie God's hand. So that are tied otherwise because of the great controversy. That's why Solomon in 2 Chronicles 7 verse 7 verse 14 says, 2 Chronicles 7 verse 14. If my people who are called by my name. You humble themselves and pray. And seek my face. And turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven. And I will forgive their sins. And heal their lands. What he's saying is like pray, pray, pray without ceasing. That will unlock heaven's doors. 
Let me impart with you some more powerful promises now. Philippians 4.9 says, And God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Ask and he'll give you. He wants to impart all his riches. Now let's go with uh, Ephesians 3.20 and that is the one I want you to read. Ephesians 3.20 Say Amen when you find it. So Ephesians 3.20 reads, Now to him who is able to exceedingly abundantly, and that means literally, infinitely, above all that we ask or think according to the power that's working on us. So, what that is saying, that God can do infinitely more than what we ask. Sometimes we are shy to ask things from God. And want to ask for the right thing. Because if you don't ask the right thing. He's not giving you. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that he gives you. Even more than what you ask for. So ask. And he'll give not only what you ask for. But more. But let me talk with you about something that's very important. And that will help to tie us all together. We very frequently hear. That God didn't promise to give us all we want. But he promises to give us all we need. How many of you heard a variation of that before? Want to say hands? So almost everybody. I myself preach such things. I'm very sorry for. But I, I have preached. But as I study the Bible. And discover more and more. How things connect. That's not quite true. Let's uh. Go with me with Psalms 20, verses 1 to 4. Psalms 20, verse 1 to 4. Say amen when you find it. So, it says, May the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. May the name of God of Jacob defend you. So he's promising, I will answer you, I will defend you. Verse 2, may he send you help from his sanctuary and strengthen you out of Zion. The help comes not from here, it comes from above. May he remember our offerings and accept our born sacrifice. And he remembers my offerings. He remembers what I give, not only monetary gifts, he remembers that I give my life to him. And that's the biggest offer I can give. But here comes the part that I like. Verse 4. He may grant you according to your heart's desire and fulfill all your purpose. Is not that wonderful? He's telling that he was going to do what your heart desire and fulfill your purpose on you. But that's not the whole tool. That, that's more. Let's go now to Psalm 37. Just a few pages more. Psalm 37, verse 4. Say amen when you find it. It says, Delight yourself also in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. Is that not wonderful? Like my eyes got caught on the sense that God will give me everything that I need, all my desires. But I seldom read the first part. 
What's the first part of this of the psalm? It says, uh, "Delight yourself on the Lord." So what that means? He will satisfy the desires of my heart if I delight myself on the Lord. And what that means? That means that I have to spend time with Him. I have to get acquainted with Him. I have to walk with Him through the day. I have to give Him out that I have. I have to give myself to Him. And then by doing so, I get transformed in His likeness. And my desires are transformed too. So I'm going to be asking things that He would be asking if, I wa- if He was on her shoes. So, uh, let me ask you. Did you got that point? That you need to be seeking God? Because that by seeking God, God can transform you. God can give you victory over sin. But He also, even the process, give what your heart desires. But let me ask you. Can God give you everything your heart desires? No. Let's say I desire, oh, I want to murder somebody. God, please help me to murder murder somebody that I don't like it. Or let's say, I need money. Please God help me to steal that money and not get caught. Can he, that's my desire, can he honor that? No. So, there's five things, five Bible verses we're going to cover and we're going to be wrapped up in another 10 minutes. But I want to share with you that are five rules that are Help us to have what our desires are. That will help that, those promises to come true in your life. First one is Matthew 7 verse 7. Matthew 7 verse 7 says, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find it. Knock and it will be opened to you. So what's the first requirement? You have to ask. Then number two. Let's go to Psalm 20, verse 4. We already read that. Delight yourself on the Lord, and He shall give the desires of your heart. So you have to ask, but you have also to delight yourself on the, on the Lord. And that means seeking His presence, surrendering to Him daily, spending quality time with Him. In the presence of His Holy Spirit, and being transformed by Him daily. And that will assure that you have what your heart desires. But there is more. Uh, there is something else. Verse Psalm 145, Psalm 145, verses 14 to 19. But uh, I'm gonna read just. I'm gonna emphasize just verse 19. Psalm uh, 144, 45. Sorry. Verses. Um, 14 to 19. Let's go. Verse, uh, the psalm starts with, in uh, the Lord upholds all who falls and he raises up all who are bowed down, all those that are worshiping him. And then he keeps saying a lot of good stuff, but let's go to verse 19. He says, and he will fulfill the desires of those who fear him and he also will hear their cry and save them. So, what else we need? We need to ask. We need to seek his presence. We need to have the light on him. But we need to fear 
him. Fear him is not to be afraid of him, but be willing to do what he asks, to walk in his ways. So, what else? Psalm 66 verse 18 says another thing that's important. It's the number four on our list. If I regarded the iniquity of my heart, and that's Psalm 66 verse 18, the Lord will not hear. So, what do I need? I need to stay away from sin, at least intentionally. If I'm living in open sin, or if I have sins that are hidden, but that I'm doing because I'm enjoying it, God will not hear me. So, uh, we need to be uh, f- uh, proactively be fighting against sin, but allowing God to be the one that fights for us in order to be heard. So verse 5, the verse number 5 is another thing that we need to, in order, and the final thing that we need in order to satisfy the desires of our hearts is to second guess our own motivations. What I mean by that, sometimes we desire things that they are not good. Why? Because Jeremiah 17 verse 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things, and desperately wicked. Who can know it? So what Jeremiah 17 verse 9 teaches us is to second guess our own heart. Because my heart wants to deceive me. Sometimes on my heart, on your heart, we can wish things that in our minds they are good, and, but they are deceitful. Their end is death. That's why Proverbs 14 verse 12 says, There is a way that seems right to a man or to a woman, but its end is the way of death. And that's why also, why 1 John 5, 14 and 15, that we won't read it here today because we already studied in a previous sermon, says that if we ask anything according to God's will, He will do it. So we always have to second guess our feelings and put this under God's will following the example of Christ. I have, we have to do that because we have to say to him that we trust his will, that we trust him, that we know that he is faithful, that he loves us, and that he wants to do what's best for us, even when we don't know what's best for us. And when we put things that way, all those five things, he will give the desires of our hearts and he will give us a victorious life. Now I want to conclude with a quick story. Like sometimes we get bogged down by our problems. Sometimes we get bogged down with our problems. Like when I accepted the call to come here. I was in a very nice job for Voice of Prophecy that allowed me to pay for my bills and with my residual income that I have from the past would allow me as well to pay my studies and whatnot, so I could do full semesters and as long as I could keep up with both things and my family, I had the money for it. But uh, when I uh, accept the call, like I was receiving like a California salary, 
in a Michigan budget. So that's a good big difference just right there. So when I accepted the call, I knew I would receive a pay cut. The first thing that I thought is like, I'm going to have to slow down my, my PhD program. I'm going to have, I, I can afford just one course a semester. But after a while, I was a little sad because it would take me ages to, to fill. I had a plan to finish in four years, but that will take at least twice or three times as long just because I need to finish the coursework. But I accepted the call and I was happy here. I feel God was calling to leave what I was doing for VOP and uh, work here in both churches. And uh, I kind of settled, but I, every now and then I will discuss with my wife, like I wish I had more money, but I never even asked God for it. One day, I was uh, going one of my regular visits to the seminary. I have to go at the beginning of every semester to talk with my advisor so he, we can fine-tune what I'm going to do next. And he said, like, listen, the, the seminary voted you to give you a scholarship. It covers half of the cost of uh, your tuition. And how that works? You still have to pay tuition. Like, uh, each credit... It's a little over $1,300. But they said the seminar will cover a thousand of, of those $1,300. So like a class that before would cost me close to $4,500 when I was said and done would cost me like six $700 and I could still pay in three installments or four installments throughout the semester. So that would make it possible. But there was a catch. It only goes up to $45,000. That's half of the cost of the program. So I still, I called advance for a, few, a little bit. And I did just that. Like, okay, let's have fun while the fun lasts, right? Knowing that at some point in a semester or two, I would have to put the brakes on again and go slowly. But uh, God was good. Like, uh, I was thanking him. Uh, I didn't even ask. Then on that last semester of that that was kicking in, I received a strange phone call. I even thought it was somebody trying to steal my identity because it was somebody from saying that they were from Princeton University trying to offer me a scholarship. I just needed to give some information like, and your school gave me. Can I call you in half an hour? So I called the, the director of the PhD program and asked, what is this? Is this legit or this is somebody that uh, is trying to scam me? Like, oh, no, no, that's legit. Like, they should have contacted you by email. And as a matter of fact, they did try. But they sent by mistake the email for to Mabio at Andrews. And my email was Mabio C at Andrews. There was another Mabio and Andrews that came before me. And he, by a big coincidence, he's also a pastor of the Midland Church in Texas. So he was receiving my emails. And like, that's not for me. He was ignoring. And those guys from Princeton to call Andrews, like, is your guy not interested in money? Like, is he a millionaire or something? What's his problem? And then they, they said, no, no. How are you contacting him? And then they read the email. Like, oh, that you have the wrong email. So they called me right away because it was the last day for me to fill those forms. And after I, I got the green light, I filled those forms. That was last year. You guys remember I went to Princeton. I got late... Uh, coming back because my flights were canceled. Remember, I told you this in a sermon. And in that, I received a grant 
that will complete my scholarship. So I basically will finish my PhD without paying anything. And why I'm saying that to you? Because I was not even asking. Because I, I was afraid to ask. I thought I didn't have the right to ask for that. But he granted the wishes of my heart. Because I was trying to live a life that honored him. I was trying to... I was following those principles. Like, uh, I want to finish the sermon today with a challenge. I want to ask, what's the size of your God? He's big. My God is big. He can do anything. But I want you to open, shoe on the Psalm 145, and let's read just a few more verses. The verses speak by itself, and after I finish those three four, or four verses, we are done. Psalm 145, verse 4 says, One generation shall praise your works to another, and we shall declare your might acts. When you live according God's will, God will start to move in your life. And you're going to tell stories to tell your kids, and your kids you're going to tell your kids, and one generation will praise the other. Let's read verse 6. Verse 6 says, Men shall speak of the mighty of your some of your awesome acts, and you declare your greatness. When God starts to move in your life, praise Him. Tell the stories around. It's not to boast yourself, it's to boast in your God because He is awesome. Verse 8 The Lord is gracious and full of compassion. Slow to anger and great in mercy. Don't feel afraid to ask because you feel you're not worth it. God is full of mercy. It, he answers your questions, your, your prayers, not by your performance, because He knows that you cannot do right without Him. He answers out of love. And verse 9 says, The Lord is good to all. And his tender mercies are all over his works. So I want to invite you today to hide yourself under the wings of that powerful God. I want to invite you to know Jesus. To know his love, know his mercies. Know that he's peaceful, that he's merciful, that he's graceful. And that you are the apple of his eye. I want to invite you to trust him with all your life. And to seek him on the first hour of the day. And stay with him throughout the day. Pray without ceasing. That's my appeal for you today. Because that's the only way for you to have victory over sin. And for you to have a life that honors him in everything you do. So, with that in mind... I want you to bow your heads once more as we pray, because I'm going to ask this for myself, but also over you. Let's pray. Dear Father in heaven, thank you so much by your love, by your grace, by your mercies, by your desire to fulfill even the desires of our hearts above and beyond our own needs. Help us, dear Lord. To then learning how to live a life that honors you. Help us to strive every day to fight not only against sin, but 
mostly to have a living relationship with you. Help us to challenge you to wake us up every day in the morning so we can pray for one another and pray to have a stronger bond with you. And help us not to forego this relationship throughout the day. Let us create pockets, little oases throughout the day where we can stop everything and pray and read scripture and reflect on your goodness and feel your presence on our lives. We ask you, dear Lord, we open our lives to you and we ask you to change us from inside. We cannot do anything by ourselves, but in Jesus, we can do all things. So we surrender to you and we ask you, claiming your promises to change your hearts, change your mind, change your ways of thinking and help us to grow more and more to your likeness. Bless us as with your Holy Spirit and transform us anew starting now. Bless each one of us and each family he represented. Bless those on the internet as well with the same blessings and help us out to be a blessing wherever we go. That's what we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You have been listening to the broadcast from the Midland Seventh-day Adventist Church at 2420 East Ashman in Midland, Michigan. If you are in the area, we cordially invite you to visit our church Saturday mornings. If you are a distance away, we encourage you to continue visiting our website and weekly podcast at midlandsda.org.